Hello and welcome to another edition of Problematic Woman, a show that showcases strong conservative women, current events, and the hypocrisy of the feminist left. My name is Kelsey Harkness. I'm a senior news producer here with The Daily Signal. And I'm Bree Payton, staff writer over at The Federalist and friend of The Daily Signal. Today we're going to be covering Katy Perry's problematic Me Too moment. Washington Post writer's uh, opinion that Down syndrome babies don't deserve to be born, and Republican Congresswoman's Mia Love's daughter, who explains why she walked up rather than walked out of her high school yesterday. But first, we are going to kick it off with our That Happens segment and talk about Megan McCain, one of the co-hosts of The View, telling the world that she is not a feminist. Listen to the clip. I think, um, you know, we've talked many times on this show, people don't like this, but I don't consider myself a feminist. And it's a really inconvenient, difficult place for a conservative pro-life woman within, in my opinion, and I actually spoke on the phone last night with my sister-in-law because I knew we were going to talk about it Mm -hmm. for International Women's Day, that it feels like a very exclusive, the Women's March in particular felt very exclusive outside of me. And I want us to celebrate all women. So that means if you're talking about, uh, you know, Kamala Harris and Kristen Gillibrand, I would also like Condoleezza Rice and Mia Love and conservative women and Carly Fiorina to be included in that. And it seems to be a place where a lot of pro-choice women don't like having pro-life women who, uh, you know, don't don't think abortion rights are the number one issue. I think Hillary Clinton ran into this, that there was an assumption that just because I'm a woman, I'm going to vote for a woman. And for me, women's issues are, is also defeating ISIS. It's also foreign policy. All issues are women's issues. And that's where my problem comes from. Can yes, I read you the means, definition Joy. of feminism? Yeah. I just I know it, it but I think I think it's been co-opted by a lot of things culturally well, that I don't still, agree with. We, we, let's go back to the source. The definition is the belief that women and men should have equal rights and opportunities. But does that mean I... So, I don't know about you, but with Joy Bahar's little dictionary thing at the end, I get annoyed when people do that because, like, yeah, the dictionary definition, like, okay, maybe that's what it says, but... A dictionary is something that evolves, right? Like every year they're always adding words and changing the definition of words and doing things like that. And while that definition of feminism has been consistent, what feminism actually is has not always matched the definition. I mean, you and I certainly agree that women deserve equal rights and deserve equal opportunities. Uh, We deserve the right to vote, own property, get jobs. We should get paid the same as men when you are working in the same job as a man. All of these things. Um, But that's not what feminism in the modern sense of the word is about. And that's what Meghan McCain was addressing, that it's usually about abortion. It's usually about all of these other things that, you know, if you're pro-life or have a slightly different opinion about something than the radical left position you don't fit into the feminism box. I agree. I think the the dictionary definition of feminism is so vague that if I were just reading the dictionary, then yes, I am a feminist, and I'm sure you are too. But when you see what that means in real life and specifically in modern times where we are at this specific moment, that means subscribing to a very far left ideology. Um, I are, I've argued that the Women's March is really coming to define what quote unquote feminism means today. And what I love about what I love about this though, and I'm glad they're talking about it on the view, is whether or not conservative women can or should identify as feminists. I believe we've talked about this on our show um, already and I think there's room 
to agree to disagree. Personally, I'm okay um, associating and identifying with the broad uh, definition of feminism. And I um, I think that there are feminists throughout history who did very important things to get me the right to be sitting here right now working and own property and vote and all these things. So I don't want to just flatly reject that term, but I think Megan McCain is so spot on when she talks about all the ways the feminist movement has been hijacked and um, also raises the important point that I think a lot of conservative women feel is that feminism is far more than my reproductive body rights. It also has to do with foreign policy. It also has to do with international human rights, um, international women's rights. There's just so much more that the, the modern day feminist movement excludes. Yeah, absolutely. And she's not the only person on The View who doesn't call herself a feminist either. Apparently, Whoopi Goldberg also does not consider herself a feminist. Let's roll the clip. But Whoopi, because I find talking about it with you very open and yes, productive. Because you I and I have, with you and I have the thing that everyone needs to have. And that is, if you are a feminist and you believe that everybody should have equal rights, then you believe that everybody has the right to believe what they believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, you know, I have never been a feminist because when coming up, there was no room for us black women. In, the, in the movement. Yeah. yeah. For black women, they, they weren't talking to us because, you know, you'd see these women, they're talking about burning my bra and doing it. My mother had one bra. She wasn't burning. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? She yeah. wasn't going to do that. But the idea, because women, and this is a, 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 a kvetch I have all the time, women forget sometimes about other women. Mm-hmm. You know, the feminists should have been one woman's movement that brought everybody up. Mm. Yes. And it didn't. It, so, took a, it took a while. And so then everybody started putting stuff on to it and what it is. You know, it's not... I think the reason it may feel like it's tied up in Planned Parenthood mm-hmm. is because for so long, a woman who was in trouble, and that's what they used to call it when you got pregnant mm-hmm. and you didn't know what to do and you had no other choice, a woman in trouble was welcomed by Planned Parenthood. That's why it's tied up, because they fought for our right to be able to say, I cannot have this baby. Can I That's why they're, they're mixed. Do you think we could get to a place where we could have conser- hardcore conservative women speakers on the same stage as whatever? I, Sister yeah, Richard, let's Kamala together, Harris. Let's do it. I would love to have a really inclusive women's Let's do a woman's women's conference. Day of let's any do kind. a yes. woman's conference yeah. and sit down and talk. Let's put What's interesting is if you actually sat down and have had a woman's conference, I think what you'd learn is women are pretty similar to the general population in the United States <laughs> in that we all have uh, very different opinions and beliefs. But what I loved most about what Whoopi just said, and I, I respect the fact that she doesn't identify as a feminist because the feminist movement historically was not inclusive of black women. And I think that this is a constant theme we're finding that we're hitting on again and again. And that is... Um, um, the, exclu- ex- the exclusiveness of the feminist movement. And it's not just now. So today they're excluding conservative women. As Whoopi pointed out, um, a few decades ago, they were excluding black women. And then look at some of the founders of the feminist movement. I mean, Margaret Sanger, she, she the founder of Planned Parenthood, she excluded any women or babies who had disabilities and didn't believe that they deserved to be born. So when people talk about feminism... Um, having, you know, 
being a dirty word. I think there's actually some truth to to that because feminism in truth has some very dirty history that it should grapple with. And I think if today's, um, if their actions today are any um, sign, they're not grappling with that because they're still excluding populations of women. Yeah. And speaking of excluding or exterminating, I guess we should say populations of women, uh, Washington Post writer Ruth Marcus wrote this column saying that if either of her kids had been diagnosed with Down syndrome while they were in the womb, she would have aborted them, um, which is really sad. And she went on to say in her column for the Washington Post that women should always have the legal option to be able to abort their child for any reason whatsoever because you know saying oh you can get an abortion but not except for this reason gives a lot of power to the state and gives a lot of control to the state and she kind of went on to use the comparison of you know the handmaid's tale which everything's the handmaid's tale right now they need a new comparison yeah <laughs> anyway so that was what her piece said and it sparked a lot of ire from a lot of people including Kathy McMorris Rogers a Republican lawmaker who is the mother of a Down syndrome child. This is what she had to say about that. We're going to roll the clip for you in just a second. I would I would uh, submit that Ruth hasn't spent a, enough time with kids that have Down syndrome. I, I want to invite her to come spend some time with Cole. Uh, our son is 10 years old. And yes, when we got that news, it was tough news. It's not what you expect. It's not what you dream. But just because something is tough doesn't mean that it's not positive. And Cole has had a tremendous positive impact on, on me, on our family, and everyone who meets him. He is a delight. And he, he has huge potential and we should be celebrating the potential of every person in this country we should be warriors for human dignity and human value and that is that's my that's my passion and that's my message to Ruth well the facts what I loved about this interview is Kathy McMorris Rogers the highest ranking female in Congress um, talked about the realities of what it's like Finding out that your child does have Down syndrome when you're pregnant, of course, she says it's not easy. She doesn't sugarcoat it, as I don't think any of us should. But um, she she talks about how beautiful it is and how maybe this isn't the child you dreamed of, um, because, of course, we all dream of a healthy child. But her and all the mothers of children with Down syndrome and anybody who knows a child with Down syndrome knows that these are some of the happiest children in the country. And I think specifically they are here in our lives. Um, You know, God, God gave us children with Down syndrome because they teach us so many beautiful lessons about what it really means to be human and what it really means to be happy. Yeah, I, th- I think you're so completely right there. And I think also this topic ties in perfectly with, you know, talking about um, just the abortion industry in general and how uh, I th- just think it's really interesting that, you know, Whoopi talks about Planned Parenthood like it's a safe haven for, you know, women, especially black women, you know, because we know that most of the babies that are, are aborted are, I shouldn't say most of them, I should say, a large 
portion of the babies that are aborted are of African-American descent. It's not proportioned to the amount of African-American people living in this country. I think it's something like 33% of the babies that are aborted each year are African-American. And I know in New York City, there were more black babies aborted a few years ago than there were born. Right. So these are just really shocking and scary statistics that uh, we should all raise awareness to and say, hey, you know, the abortion movement in this country has a very creepy history of eugenics. I mean, Margaret Sanger herself said that those, you know, the feeble minded and all of these other things should be um, exterminated and snuffed out and their right to reproduce should be taken away from them. And the state should determine that. And she actually wrote a federal a proposed federal legislation with that language in there. And she also spoke at events for the Ku Klux Klan and was paid to be there and do that. And they loved her so much that they invited her back. So I think that there should be an awareness of these are these people are eugenicist monsters. This is how they started. We need to protect individuals that are susceptible right now because maybe right now it's people that have Down syndrome, but maybe it's tom- maybe tomorrow it's women, right? Like maybe baby girls aren't going to be as desirable. So we have to draw the line somewhere, and it needs to be now. It's funny how liberals right now want to tear down and erase any history that they find inconvenient. I'm talking about a lot of the Confederate statues that have been removed in the last year or two. And yet when it comes to Planned Parenthood's history, they want to conveniently leave that out of the conversation and pretend that it doesn't exist. And I think part of the reason for that is because Planned Parenthood um, has such a brilliant marketing campaign. Um, so much of their money has to go to their social social media um, social media campaigns Uh, And and they're very involved in lots of different movements, not just pertaining to abortion. Um, They put themselves out there for interviews to outlets that are going to be friendly with them. Of course, we're never going to see Planned Parenthood um, CEO Cecile Richards sit down with the Daily Signal or the Federalist. But you know who she did sit down with recently? The skim. The skim. So I'm sure a lot of you have heard of the skim if you haven't. It's a morning email um, specifically targeted for women. And I, I give them a lot of credit for what they started. It's this now massive company, um, very successful, and they claim to cover the news straight down the middle. Um, but I think at times we have, you know, you know, with love, we have to say, we have to argue as conservative women that we don't always think the way they're covering the news is fair. Um, and I think this recent interview, they did with Richards um, is a perfect example of that. So um, the the founders of the skim sat down and asked Richards um, how Planned Parenthood is funded. And here's a short clip of her response. Here's the two most important things to know. One, Planned Parenthood isn't a line item in the federal budget. So it's never meant we're getting cut out of the federal budget. Actually, what Congress is trying to do is the second thing, which is to say you can't go to Planned Parenthood anymore if you rely on a federal program. If a woman comes in and gets her pap smear, her breast exam, we get reimbursed just like any other health center or any other hospital. No federal funding goes for abortion anywhere, except in very, very limited circumstances. And that's true for Planned Parenthood. That's true for hospitals. 
So I have to point out, for those of you watching on Facebook Live, you probably missed this because I missed it the first three times I watched this interview and I noticed it um, just today before I, while I was preparing for this show. There's a tiny subtext, tiny, tiny sub subtext uh, under that interview that says pro-life advocates say any funding that keeps Planned Parenthood's doors open indirectly supports abortions. Yeah. And the way that she talked about the funding structure of Planned Parenthood is so misleading because this is how it happens. This is how it happens. Okay. All right. So you are on Medicare and Medicaid and you go walk in into a facility that accepts Medicare and Medicaid, in this case, Planned Parenthood. You get X, Y, Z, whatever, whatever thing. Okay, you leave, whatever. Then um, Planned Parenthood is like takes a receipt for what happens, sends the receipt to the government, and is like, hey, can you reimburse us? And the government's like, all right, sure. So <laughs> there actually was a GAO study that was just released last week that found that um, – so it's as she's saying, the funding structure comes from a lot of sources, right? It's not a line item in the budget. It's reimbursements from a lot of different places. It's reimbursements from HHS. It's reimbursements from states in their own insurance exchanges that they have. It's reimbursements from USAID. And it's some government grants. And, right. So it's like all of these sources of funding. Uh, the GAO did a report to try to figure out how exactly, how much money that Planned Parenthood um, or abortion clinics, I should say, are getting from taxpayers. And they found that over the past three years, clinics that offered abortion services received $1.5 billion, with a B, in federal funding over the past three years. That's completely insane. And also, she even, she even said there, like, oh, we don't, you know, taxpayer dollars don't fund abortions except for... Right. Okay. Number one, what are those exceptions? And number two, that point is very, very different from the, oh, taxpayer dollars never, never, never goes to fund abortions no matter what, because that would violate the Hyde Amendment, which is a federal law that stipulates that no taxpayer dollars should go in any capacity to fund abortions. And okay, let's think about this for a second, too, and pretend that, let's pretend that, let, forget what she said, that let's pretend that, um, you know, Planned Parenthood, their usual line, which is none of the money that we get ever goes directly towards abortions. Let's pretend that that's true for a second. OK, they are getting money from the government like on the back end. They're not getting it on the front end. The government is not like here, Kelsey, here you go. Here's, you know, your money. Go use this to you know, pay for an abortion. Instead, they're doing whatever they're doing and then asking for a handout, right? And that handout is funding all of these things for the abortion clinic. And it's, right, it's keeping the lights on, it's keeping the doors open, and I don't want my tax dollars going to that. And I think that that's reasonable. Well, and as that... Sorry to sound off on all of the issues with... Medicaid. Well, <laughs> well I, I think part of the issue here is how the media covers groups like yeah. Planned Parenthood. Whether or not you're for or against abortion, that's a different story. When it comes to the Skim interview, which is supposed to be bringing the news, not propaganda for one organization, um, you know, it seems like, you know, them putting this tiny subtext is like a disclosure that they can pat themselves on the backs and say that they covered this fairly because, you know, they have in tiny text that, you know, conservatives completely disagree with her rationale right there. Um, but that's all you're ever going to hear, because, I mean, I, I would love to see the skim sit down with more conservative women to actually explain your take, you know, what you just explained for how Planned Parenthood's funding really works. But moving on. 
we have some Katy Perry to talk about. It's Katy Perry. Okay, so <laughs> Katy Perry is apparently an American Idol judge, which I didn't realize until all of a the sudden there are <laughs> all these headlines either. about all of her behavior um, coming out. So she, uh, on the show this week, she kissed a contestant, this 19-year-old kid from like you know, somewhere where the small town comes in and, you know, makes the mistake of saying that he has never been kissed before. So Katy Perry is like, oh, come here, you know, come give me a kiss. And when he leans in to give her a kiss on the cheek, she quickly like turns around and plants one on his lips. And later on, uh, the New York Times tracked this kid down and asked him about it. And he said, um, so I'll just read you what he said. He was like, oh, I wanted to save my first kiss for my first relationship. I wanted it to be special. Would I have done it if she said, would you kiss me? I would have said no. I know a lot of guys would have been like, heck yeah. But for me, I was raised in a conservative family and I was uncomfortable immediately. I wanted my first kiss to be special. So the New York Times and a lot of other publications took this as a Me Too moment, unwanted (laughs) sexual attention from an older judge, you know, this whole thing. And he himself came out on Instagram and had to clear all of it up and was like, "Uh, to be clear, I'm not complaining about my kiss from Katy Perry. I did not feel that I was sexually assaulted. And this poor kid is trying to win back the news cycle that has been taken away from him. Poor guy. The media is trying to turn him into a victim when he himself is saying right, he's, he's like, not a victim. Yeah, he's like, okay, if I had the choice there, would I, you know, pick one or the other? I would have picked the no kiss option. But whatever it happened, like, it's fine. It's a kiss. But here's my question for you. Do you think Katy Perry kissing him on the lips when, you know, she actually first said, um, he said, is it just going to be on the cheeks? And and she said yes. And then last minute she twisted her head and gave him a big smooch on the lips. Do you think any portion of that is problematic or do you think all of this is being overblown? So... I don't think she I think that that's like rude to do like I think it's rude you know like if someone did that to me I'd be like uh and you can tell when he he has to like recover and try to play and his performance is like not that good yeah (laughs) you know and you don't know how much of it is just because he's not that good or because he just felt super weird in that moment right like you wouldn't want to ruin someone's audition for them you wouldn't want to like have their first kiss be on national TV and do all of that. So I don't think she should have done that. But this is not sexual assault. I mean, if someone is telling you that, you know, they are not a victim of sexual assault and it was literally just a peck, you know, kiss, not like a gross thing, I think we should take his word over the New York Times. I completely agree. It's certainly, I'm going to take his word for it, (laughs) that it wasn't sexual assault. But I will say, you know, just because she's a celebrity doesn't give Katy Perry the right to go around laying one on 19-year-old boys. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, moving on, we have our... One of our new segments, it's a, it's called This Is What Feminism Looks Like. And this is a segment where Brie and I like to hold up positive examples of feminism that we think represent our brand of conservative <laughs> feminism. 
Um, so this week we wanted to highlight the story. Um, this is from the Washington Post that women can now be pilots for Iran, uh, Iran Air. What I think is so interesting about this story is when you read headlines like this, for a second your first reaction is, wait, women can't already be pilots for Iran Air? And that's how you have to remember that a lot of these countries are still so backwards that women can't hold careers and jobs that men have. I Um, mean, in Saudi Arabia, women were just granted the right to drive in September. Exactly, exactly. So that's how backwards some places are. Yeah. So, you know, as minuscule as this might seem for us to be talking about here, I think it's important for us to be talking about it because the more cases that we can highlight of them actually getting their rights, the more it also works to call out the rights that they don't have and actually bring attention to the fact that they are still missing so many rights. Because I think this is something the liberal feminist movement um, does not bring enough attention to. They have such a huge platform because uh, mainstream media outlets will do quite a bit of reporting on um, their latest pet project. And their latest pet project is just never, um, in, in recent years, has never been you know women in Iran who are risking arrest to take off their hijabs, which there right. was an update with that story. That's not backing down. There's still women being arrested for that. Um, so these women need our help. And if anyone has any ideas of how we can help them, please leave comments on our on on the Facebook page, because we would love to hear your ideas about what we as conservative women can be doing to further women's rights in places like Iran. Absolutely. We'll We'll be back. We will be back. We'll leave you for a short music break and then we'll announce our problematic woman of the week. And we are back with Problematic Woman. It is that time of the week where we announce the most problematic woman of the week. So this year, I, I this year, I'm losing it. <laughs> this week, it goes to Alyssa Love, who is the daughter of Republican Congresswoman Mia Love. Uh, the reason we're highlighting her is um, because there was this big national school walkout this week um, where, you know, students walked out of their high schools and many high schools gave them permission to do so. Um, whole nother topic there that Brie and I should get into at some <laughs> point. Um, but what, what Alyssa and her fellow students decided to do is something different. They staged a walk up. And I did a short phone interview with Alyssa for her to explain what this movement consisted of and why you all should probably be supporting it. Well, Alyssa, thank you for joining us on our podcast, Problematic Women. I know we're catching you actually between classes. You're a high school student in Utah. I heard about your story when my colleague Rachel highlighted a counter campaign you were launching and participating in in Utah as it related to the national school walkout yesterday. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, it's actually called Walking Up. So it's just it's talking about taking the time to, you know, walk up to students who are alone or to students that you can see are struggling and getting to know them and just kind of being a friend or someone who is there. Or even if you would like to walk up to teachers and just say, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to educate us and to, you know, put your heart into what you're doing because you're building futures and you're building students. And so it's kind of just it's revolving around that positivity and just being thankful and to being that friend to others and to support those who may be struggling. 
So tell us how this played out. Did some students participate in the walk out and some students participate in the walk up at your school? Yeah, we, um, some students, they took 17 minutes and they went out to the front of the school and, you know, they were holding signs and that was the walkout for them. But others, you know, we, uh, I was, I was in math at the time. So of course I, I wasn't able to leave. So, um, but, um, a lot of us participated in the walk up and it's not something that's scheduled. It's something that you can do anytime or you can do anywhere and just, you know, we've had a lot and I was talking to a lot of my teachers and they've had a lot of students coming up and telling them how much they've appreciated them and their teaching and they're taking their time to help them succeed. And I have had a lot of students that, you know, I see walking down the halls and they'll go sit next to someone who they may not even know. And so I think that, you know, I don't know if we have a number, but it's spreading and you can see it. This is a very emotional debate that's playing out in high schools across the nation. So I'm curious how those students who participated in the walk out responded to the walk up um i've had you know i've had a lot of people and a lot of people who did the walk out also participate in the walk up it's not something where you you choose sides or whatever but you know i i i think it's a positive thing it's we've gotten a lot of positive feedback but you know there are people that you know who yeah like we all want to help we all want to help and as students we have a voice and it's important that everyone uses their talents to help. And if some students feel that walking out will help save a human life, then I support that. But for me, walking out is simple. And it's harder to take the time now to walk up to someone and to be that friend. And, you know, I'm going to try to be the one that walks up. I love that. So the walk up is really an inclusive movement that's open to maybe students who don't identify with the walk out campaign and maybe are more for the Second Amendment than some of those students. But you're also open to students who are walking out. You're inviting them to walk up, too. So I think it's really great Absolutely. that you're building an, inc- uh, a, a, an inclusive movement. How did this get started? So it all started. So um, it was. I think, I believe it was Tuesday morning, um, our principal sent out, sent out a thing about the walk-up, and he invites students, you know, participate in both, but mostly the walk-up, and he talked about, you know, just the positivity of it, and I really loved that, and I feel like the media, it tends to focus on anger and hurt and destruction, you know, and, you know, it's nice to have something that's healing, something that's nice, and not something that we're protesting against is something that feels angry, you know, because we might be able to stop the violence, you know, before it actually happens. And so I thought that was really cool. And so I started posting it and I started sharing with people and encouraging them to, you know, do the walk up as well, if not just the walk up. Yeah. (laughs) That's really beautiful. And to leave it off, because I know you need to run back into your classes. What message do you have as a high school student in our country right now that perhaps you're not hearing in the mainstream media? I feel, I feel there's a lot, there's a lot of good in the world and every time and the media likes to feel a lot of the bad. And every time I turn on the news, I feel like something tragic has happened, but I know there's a lot of good going on in the world. And I just, I encourage people to kind of spread that good and to be there for others and to send that good to others. You know, because we have a lot of negativity and there is bad in the world, but I also believe there's a fair amount of good 
and positivity and that it is it's it's amazing it's it's something that needs to be shown and i feel like we uh, we make these criminals we make them famous by telling them by telling us their names and where they live and i i honestly i don't need to know those things i don't need to know what they did and I don't need to know their names or their faces. I want to know the good that's going on in the world because I believe there's so much good that's going on. Well, thank you so much for calling in today, Alyssa. For those who don't know, your mother is actually Mia Love, a Republican woman in Congress, very strong Republican <laughs> woman. And I can only imagine that you are going to follow in her footsteps and have a very bright future ahead of you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Have a good week. I think that's so awesome that she's doing this. I mean, she's so young and she's doing this movement that is really inclusive to everyone. It doesn't exclude any, uh, you know, political ideology or or thoughts about any political issue. Um, And I think, honestly, this kind of response is what would ultimately end up stopping the next attack. And I think... Honestly, I think the rise of mass shootings and mass violence and other things like that, I think they've coincided with the decay and collapse of a lot of social institutions and a lot of this feeling that, you know, we're not connected as people and that we're all isolated and all these things. So I think rebuilding and repairing connections and relationships to one another, I think, is such a great idea. And I'm so glad that she's stepping up and doing this. Exactly. I think there's so many reasons to walk up to that student who's eating lunch alone. And, you know, hopefully very few of those students would ever turn out to be one of these evil mass shooters. But um, the reality is a lot of kids are struggling. You know, high school is not an easy time. And this is a movement that's really about spreading support for one another another and love and acceptance. And I think um, that ultimately is what really can make a difference and hopefully bring these tragedies to an end. You can read more about her story over at The Daily Signal. And that wraps up our show this week. Um, Thank you all for tuning in. As always, if you know a problematic woman, please let us know. You can follow my work at The Daily Signal. And you can read all of my work over at thefederalist.com and follow me on Twitter at Brie underscore Payton. This podcast is a collaboration of The Daily Signal and The Federalist and is produced by Lauren Evans of The Daily Signal. You can tweet segment ideas to her at Lauren Liz Liz Evans. (laughs) If you like this podcast, please support us by rating and subscribing on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate you sharing problematic women with your friends and for supporting strong conservative women who are standing up for America's culture.